Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Folks, you're listening to this installment of Opposition Territory here at the Philadelphia Sports Table Podcast Show, the longest-running weekly Philly sports podcast show in the world. That's right, 10 years strong. we got a great discussion coming your way, as always, on our Opposition Territory shows. I love doing these podcasts because it gives us all some insight into what's going on outside the world of Philly sports. Now, as we know, this NL East division, my gosh, it, it is so tight in terms of the middle of what's happening with the, the Mets, the Phillies, the Marlins. I mean, anything can happen with these teams. One of these teams is going to get hot at some point in the near future. And this week, we are talking about the Mets, specifically the New York Mets, uh, we got a great guest. Why don't we just get right to it? It is great to have back on the podcast. Joining us from another great podcast, a pod of their own over at AmazingAvenue.com. You know, we love our SB Nation sites. You can follow her on Twitter at Maggie162. We've got the one and only Maggie Wigan. How you doing? I'm doing well, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing all right. I really appreciate you coming on to talk about the New York Mets because I'll tell you right now, I am absolutely intrigued by how this NL East division is shaping up here in 2023, Maggie. I mean, we're certainly <laughs> going to get into it. I mean, the Mets, the Phillies, the Marlins, just just middling right in the middle of this division. There's not. It, it seems that these teams they're just struggling there's a lot of challenges and but it makes it interesting for sure and I just want to say I appreciate you coming on to talk about the New York Mets because New York Mets they're having some issues for sure (laughs) they are I will say I'm much happier to be here today talking about the Mets than I would have been this time last week yeah Um, yes (laughs) it is it's been a (laughs) it's been a much nicer week than some of the several that came before it. Absolutely. Well, let, let's. I like to, on our Opposition Territory shows, talk to my guests specifically about strengths and weaknesses of the teams that we're specifically focusing on. So let's start off our, our discussion with strengths and weaknesses of this 2023 Mets team at this point, and at this point in the season, around the end of May here. Let's start with the biggest strengths of this team. When you look at what this team has given its fans and just where it is right now, what are some of the biggest strengths of this uh, 2023 Mets team? I mean, that's a... That is, to some extent, the harder question to ask in a lot of ways. Um, 
But I mean, as long as we're talking strength, you got to give my big boy, Pete Alonzo. Oh. Um, he has in a, in a season when a lot of Mets have sort of left plenty to be desired. Yep. Um, Pete is giving exactly what Mets have come to hope to see from him. Um, you know, the, the average is, is a little on the low side, but we have seen before he's perfectly capable of pulling up. He's around two thirty right now to like two sixty, two seventy. He's got that in him, but he is, um, he's just absolutely crushing the ball major league leading 17 home runs. Um, he's giving that power in the middle of the lineup, which the team really needs. Um, I would say the other, another strength, um, would, uh, be just in general, the young position players that they have brought up. Now they have not been, um, not every single one of them has been super, super consistent, but you've got this steady stream of, um, Francisco Alvarez and Brett Beatty uh, and Mark Vientos um, who have all come up and been a part of um, getting this team back on the right track. Uh, and I would say, especially I think uh, Beatty and Alvarez have, you know, they're both producing above average offensively, which yep. is I think especially impressive for Alvarez, who is a baby. He is 21 years old. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think he took like two deep breaths in AAA before getting <laughs> before getting pulled up. And what's great is like, I mean, he's his bat has been just fine or more than fine, um, which long term is what you'd expect, although you wouldn't necessarily expect it at 21. And then also he's actually like beyond serviceable behind the plate, which I think was for the short term. Those were the big worries. Like, oh, yeah. my goodness, is he going to be able to stick um, a catcher this young? And so far, he looks great there. And then Brett Beatty just has settled in like like he's been around for years. He's just stepped yeah. right into that everyday third baseman, made it in uh, position, made it impossible for them to uh you know <laughs> to to let him linger on the sidelines although you know the the lineup still gets a lot of mixing around and Escobar is going to get his reps there as well Vientos probably too right um but you know those to have that um to have that unexpected or you know maybe unguaranteed uh production from young players is really um has really been a nice surprise and definitely uh gives the Mets you know something to build on um, I would say the weakness is this one's a pretty easy one. It's, right. <laughs> um, it's the starting pitching. The starting yeah. pitching has been hurt and it's been bad and it's been hurt and bad. Um, it's a theme for the and, Phillies too. I mean, it's a theme for the Mets, yeah. theme for the Phillies, even, even the Marlins, you're seeing these middling teams here in the NL East. When you look at it in the end, the starting pitching, my gosh, it's just so completely inconsistent, but uh, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt you with no, regard no, to the Mets. Is, the starting pitching has been unbelievable to watch. Yeah. They just have not been able to get any good, consistent production from their starting pitchers. And I guess one of the, you know, of looking at other teams too, one of the ironies of all this is like, Certainly, there were many other big names out there that the Mets could have gone after in the offseason, and they've all been bad. <laughs> like, you know, Rodon is hurt and DeGrom is hurt. Like, yeah, everybody yeah. who was on the Mets, you know, radar was hurt. So it isn't even like this feels like something that could have been avoided. Like, no, very much. This is just what the Mets were destined to be facing, I suppose, this year. But, like, you know, you've got, um, 
You've got Verlander who, and this, you know, this will be a big asterisk in terms of recording today as opposed to last week, but right. you know, Verlander was hurt for a long time and then he just wasn't looking himself. Um, and then last night he comes out and throws eight brilliant innings and just is exactly the guy the Mets would hope to. And so, and this is really like, you know, I've sort of hinted at this, but this is a real kind of um, like uh go hard or die sort of moment for the team just in terms of like they're on a really good stretch suddenly and for the first time all season and yeah. is that going to define the rest of their season or is it just sort of a blip on the radar so like you know just like verlander is he is he going to settle back into being an ace i think yes <laughs> i mean he's certainly like he was old last year when he won the Cy Young. Right, right. Like, you know, him being old this year doesn't mean that he has forgotten how to pitch, although it can come on fast. So always trying to like, you know, steal myself for for that disappointment. But I, I have a, I think that what we saw last night from Verlander was what he's capable of doing when he's not rusty because he was rusty absolutely um, it, it's a really good segue maggie for yeah. the next topic i wanted to get into which is the actual starting pitching here because my gosh the mets they've circled through nine different starting pitchers this season which is third most in major league baseball now they've got you know 34 year old jose quintana getting ready to come back after a rib injury and i'm wondering you know you've been assessing here you know in in terms of the weaknesses of this team, this Mets, you know, pitching rotation to to an extent here. But I'm wondering how how you correlate that and the struggles that they have had with what the expectations were before the season started. And, and also wondering too if Jose Quintana may help to actually provide some more stability to this rotation in in the coming weeks, perhaps. I mean, I think the story coming into the season was always that the Mets top five was you know, on paper, as good as anyone's. Right, right. Um, when you have Scherzer and Verlander at the front there. Uh, I was Kodan scared to death. Yes, I was scared to death. Yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, you still might be. Yes, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Still um, a lot of season left. <laughs> yeah, and Senga coming in from Japan, very highly regarded. Um, and then you had Quintana and Carrasco as your 4-5, which is like, that's a nice situation to be on the 4-5, yep. except that immediately... They started running into problems, which is that Verlander didn't throw a pitch until May, and Quintana's not going to either. Carrasco was visibly hurt, missed a lot of time, just came back, looks a little less visibly hurt. Um, and so I think it's always it's just a matter of figuring out at this point, like, is um like is Max Scherzer again just kind of getting into the rhythm after he has had a a tumultuous start to his season um you know is he is he really getting back on track he certainly looks like he is but at the same time it you know it could be a season of ups and downs for him uh and the same you know for that matter like we feel good about Quintana coming back like he's certainly better than a lot of the Mets alternatives but um you know how is he going to look how long is it going to take him to settle in and you know and then the the other side of the problem that the Mets were having is that, you know, like any team in this situation, they had to dig into their depth and the depth also underperformed from what we would have expected last year. Um, David Peterson, despite what he has shown consistently at Citizens Bank Park, is like a perfectly cromulent sixth starter. Yeah. Like, yeah, he in general should 
see time on most major, major league teams, except this year he couldn't pitch to save his life. Yeah. I mean, it was just really like it was the worst of David Peterson every single time he was out there. And so, you know, when you have you have guys that you start to rely on, not to necessarily, you know, mow down the world, but at least to like just be able to give you a half decent spot start. That consistency. Yeah. Um, that just disappeared. Yeah. Uh, so that and and that has been the other problem. That's also why, I mean, at this point in the season, we've gone through nine of them because you just couldn't you couldn't keep throwing David Peterson out there. I mean, at the end of the day, the thing is when you have um, really good starting pitchers who are pitching badly and everyone else is pitching injured and your depth is just god awful. I mean, you're going to end up where the Mets are, which is um, with a really disappointing performance on the pitching, especially. Yeah, absolutely. Look, again, it comes down to consistency for this Mets team. And I think once they start getting that consistency, and again, Jose Quintana, once he does get back on the bump, once he gets back on the mound, I think I think that you're going to see some of that a little bit more. And of course, we know the arms that they have there. Once the consistency starts for some of the huge names you know, that, that the Mets pitching staff have, I think you're going to see some good things. And I think Mets fans are going to be happy. Phillies fans are going to be extremely sad. So let's look from a bullpen perspective now, Maggie. Uh, you know, I think what's interesting is that a very low-key Mets trade that happened during the offseason has been, you know, kind of working out for the team thus far. Uh, Jeff Brigham, he's been one of those, I think, under-the-radar acquisitions who's who's proving to be a valuable part of the bullpen. And I tend to like these type of trades that happen for any MLB team, you know, because at the end of the day, we're always following the superstars. Jeff Brigham, not necessarily a superstar, but his story has been more of a quiet victory for the Mets in their front office, I believe. You know, he he's putting up like decent numbers. And I think that's what you want to see in terms of, again, that word stability for this Mets uh, uh, pitching staff and some of the arms that you're seeing coming out from the bullpen. How would you have set, uh, assess where the bullpen is at here in uh, late May? Well, I think, um, you know, the bullpen is one of the stronger bullpens the Mets have had in a while, which is, I mean, it's saying a lot um, because, of course, one of the things about the Mets bullpen is that they are missing <laughs> just only the best reliever on the planet right right um that they yeah you know, they came into the season down one superstar right um so the fact that they are holding their own at this point is is pretty impressive but of course the bigger the the biggest issue for the bullpen has been the starting pitching right um because you know even when the starting pitching wouldn't be too bad for a while there. They just they could not go into games. So your best case scenario for a Mets starting pitcher would have been five shutout innings. And like you get those five and you're like, oh, thank God we got five out of him. <laughs> like it's and you absolutely cannot have a decent bullpen for four innings every single game. It right. does not work. Doesn't no happen. one has ever done it. Yep. Um, and the Mets will not be the first, um, <laughs> but, you know, and, and that's where, I mean, the, the value of a guy like Brigham has been really high. Cause I mean, he's already, he's appeared in 14 games. Um, and that's, you know, and his ability to kind of go out there and give the Mets some quality, um, some quality pitches, uh, especially like a good strikeout rate. Like 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's just the kind of middle reliever that the Mets desperately need, but also the kind of middle reliever who is at risk of getting overused and both in terms of like keeping his arm healthy and in terms of him being overexposed yeah. uh, to the league. Cause like Brigham's not going to strike out a third of the batters that he faces forever. But um, as long as he is now, that's fine by me. Right. I'm not complaining. <laughs> um, but and you also, I mean, I think like in terms of somebody who was brought in to be a distant number two to um, to Edwin Diaz, the fact that uh, David Robertson at 38 years old looks like a god <laughs> is um, is just what the doctor ordered. Where, where was he uh, with the, the Phillies with, with looking like this? Dear Lord. <laughs> sorry. I mean, hashtag sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not like, sorry. Yep. Not sorry. No, I mean, and and that's another one where like, look, David Robertson is not going to have a one ERA forever. Um, and certainly, I mean, the faster the Mets can work out their larger pitching issues the better right just in terms i mean we we even saw it yesterday like for the first time robertson really i mean i think that might have been his first blown save i um i think you might be right close enough attention to that but (laughs) but yeah i mean he gave up the home run yesterday almost lost the game um I feel like I want to uh, get a screen cap of his face when he did that. He had his hands kind of over his head. And I was just like, boy, same buddy right there with you. <laughs> um, but, you know, in tr- again, like for a team that lost the best closer in baseball to have stumbled into a really ding dang good closer is um, is incredibly lucky. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, very again, you know, the there's no good way to run a bullpen in this situation, but all things considered, they are getting some really good stuff from that bullpen. Drew Smith is another one. He has been around the Mets forever, um, just kind of um, always nibbling at some kind of a high pressure role. And I think I I think he's still maybe not a hundred percent there yet. Um, but he's but he's shutting down the offenses when he needs to. He looks. Um, he looks great much of the time. Still's walking too many guys, but that's that's going to happen. Yep. Um. And so it's you know it's great for a team to have, um, to have a couple of guys like that who you can go to. But then, um, you know it does start to get thin around the middle. And in the middle, I also sort of have to include Adam Onovino in this. Who, um, I think there was a lot of, uh, optimism and. You know, he's just not looking like the guy he was last year, um, which is, you know, understandable at um, he's, you know, moving into those late 30s kind of ages right there and just not. um, Yeah, not not delivering in the way that the Mets really could use him. Yeah. uh, Delivering. And um, then you've got like Brooks Raley looks mostly pretty good. He was pitching kind of meh when he got hurt. Um, and he's, you know, after adjusting, he's been back again and looking fine. Um, and then Nogasek is the other one who had a good start to the season, but I think, you know, is another one where the workload is starting to, to pile up on him. And I think that's, that is part of the challenge for the Mets and figuring out how they're going to manage this bullpen over the course of the season. Cause that is always a big job is the question is how many of these guys are, um, just getting worked too hard. Yeah. And, um, and how many of them are just not good and should probably move on from them as quickly as possible. Well, I, I do think there, there there is a theme throughout our conversation here, Maggie, which is with regard to the Mets, those gentlemen who seem to be 
having some challenges this season, maybe the more aged individuals on this team, the the older individuals, which we are going to get to in a little bit because of where Mets Nation is in terms of wanting to see some other you know players and talent on the field. But before we actually get to that, I wanted to talk about what's going on with the hitting with this Mets team because the, the Mets hitting in the batter's box has kind of just been all over the place this season from what I've seen from my understanding here. I mean, Starling Marte, who I absolutely – I've talked to you in the past about him. I, I, I love him as a Major League Baseball player. He's, he's a talent I wish was on the Philadelphia Phillies, frankly. He just – you know, he's hitting his way out of a slump recently – Again, you talked about Pete Alonso. He has 17 home runs already as of us recording this. He's that fantastic stability in the batter's box in terms of that. Jeff McNeil, you know, he's batting 291 as of us recording this. But Francisco Lindor, you know, he's got 49 strikeouts, batting average of 228. Other members of this team haven't been too, too steady and consistent in the batter's box. So, how would you grade the batting that you have seen of the Mets just after six weeks of play here and why? I mean, you. It, I can't imagine going any further than like a B minus on this one. Okay. Um, and certainly, I mean, the 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 theme as always is that they are just consistently inconsistent. Is that um, you, <laughs> know, you think like I yeah. you think like I can't watch this guy take another at bat and then he hits a bomb the next inning. Like it's just um, it's almost maddening. <laughs> um, and I think like if I had to kind of come together on a theme for the Mets hitters, um, it's really um, a lack of power that has sort of been a very clear issue. And it's interesting in the way it kind of contrasts to last year, you know, Starling Marte and McNeil, just to kind of pick two examples, you know, they're, they're the kinds of players who they've got power, uh, but they are going to deliver most of their value um, just with lots of hits at a higher average and some speed in there. Um, and that's that's their profile. But then this year, they're like, no power at all. Right. Like none whatsoever. Yeah. You know, it's it's really. And then you see like Daniel Vogelback. Daniel Vogelback has like two home runs all season. Like, what are we doing here with Daniel Vogelback <laughs> if he's not hitting home runs? Like, right. <laughs> I, and he's getting on base and that's really nice but like at the end of the day you can't have like daniel vogelback and jeff mcneil as your only players on base um when you there's nobody to like hit to like knock them in um so i think but we are seeing a little more um we are seeing some development from uh again mcneil is someone who is sort of like righted the ship a bit the last two weeks um you know, in ter- just in terms of going from like what was kind of an empty average to a little bit more than that. And Lindor, I think, is another is another guy who, um, you know, he's he's trying to find that balance. He's always been he you know, he power is part of his game. He is a good, solid power hitter, but he's not like a 30 home run hitter. So he has to sort of thread that needle between delivering on power and just being a decent all around hitter. And he's not quite there yet right now but i think the last couple weeks you've seen like he excuse me he is settling and he is looking better and better um still killing it in the field like always like just so reliable um you know and and some decent base running like you know lindor is one of those players where you know it's it's been a rough start to the season for him but i'm just like his 
WRC plus is 108. Like, do you want it to, to stop there? Absolutely not. You do want to see that get higher, but we're still talking about someone who is above average offensively for the league overall, let alone for a solid shortstop. Like that's a good, you know, you'd like to see that. You don't right, want to right. see that necessarily from your like superstar shortstop, yeah. but there's also plenty to look at there and think that like, this is going to be fine. Um, I would say another another player who is holding his own because he always, always does is Brandon Nimmo. You just you look up, <laughs> you you look up and his on base is like 370. Like you just like, you know, if you if I asked you to guess, like what is, you know, what is like walk strikeout ratio? You probably could like he's he really is for all of the talk of the Mets being inconsistent, which they are. Um, Nimmo is just always in there, a thorn in everyone's sides. He gets on base. He can hit for some power. He hit a home run like halfway to Main Street flushing last yeah, <laughs> yeah. the other day, like just absolute <laughs> bomb. Um, so, and, and his defense has been, um, so much better this year. Like it's a really like for a team that needs some consistency, it's wonderful to have Nemo there. And, you know, it, there has been some inconsistency in Pete's game. He came off of a, of a bad week or so stretch where, I mean, I think he had like an O for 20 in there. It wasn't pretty. Um, but at the same time, 17 home runs. It's incredible. Um, and he is, and he is like, you can see the, the average is starting to tick up. You know, he's, he's just a monster and he's, um, brings everything the Mets could possibly want from him. And I'm just going to like, look, Steve Cohen, if you are listening to this right now, for the love <laughs> of God, sign that man to an extension. Holy crow. Before he, before he humps your dugout fence to death, like, get that man signed. Again, folks, talking to Maggie Wigan from a pod of their own over at AmazingAvenue.com. You can listen to her and her co-hosts on a weekly basis at Maggie162 on Twitter. She is a great, great follow. All right, we are going to take a quick break here, but we want to keep talking with Maggie about this Mets team. We're going to pay some bills. We'll be back in just a bit. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, we are back here on Opposition Territory, getting into and continuing, I should say, to get into this Mets team with Maggie Wigan. And uh, to kind of uh, piggyback on something I had said a little earlier and kind of a, a theme, I think, within... Mets Nation, there there seems to be a little bit of a frustration within part of the Mets fan base that I wanted to dive into with you specifically, Maggie, like with regard to like younger players, not necessarily getting the chance that a lot of folks within Mets Nation want to see. Like, so I've been reading some articles recently about how Buck Showalter might not be the right manager, perhaps. He might not be the right skipper for the Mets due to a number of managerial type of issues. You know, he's getting he's getting some getting a little bit of heat, you know, after six weeks. You know, sometimes I I have to look at certain managers and say and fan bases and say, you know, pump the brakes a little bit. This may be one of those situations. But 
the let the kids play mantra has really been a slogan for a lot of Mets fans this season. Again, from my understanding, and wh- whether it's Showalter or GM uh, Billy Epler, th- there there seems to be a lot of fans that just want the young talent within this ball club and even the farm system to to, to get out there and see what they can do to help provide some more uh, consistency and stability for this Mets team. What are your thoughts on this theme that doesn't necessarily seem to be going away anytime soon? Um, so I think I'm, I mean, there's always going to be heat on a manager when a team comes in with these high expectations and underperforms to the extent that the Mets have underperformed. I mean, they That's went yeah. two weeks yeah. where it was like they couldn't buy a win. And there's like you always have to look towards the top when something like that is happening. Now, that said, um, you know, I think he certainly uh, Showalter certainly does have a reputation for perhaps um coddling veterans a little bit or being overly deferential to their playing time. Um, I would like him to play the kids more, but I also have seen just over the last week that, that, that he is playing them more. You know, so I, I don't think it's in terms of like, Oh, he's never going to play the kids. I don't think that's true. I think he is. I think he has his sort of like default leaning inclination. Um, and has been gradually adjusting that to the reality of like clearly seeing the energy coming from the young kids. And I think it's unfair to Buck to act as though he is just incapable of recognizing that and adjusting. And I think the other thing to remember about uh, Buck's approach, while it might be frustrating, is that he has vocally put a high value on keeping guys rested and not running out your same set every day like that's you know so that you don't end up at the end of the season with everybody gassed right um so you are gonna see some Vogelbach and some Escobar at bats and they also you know and and they're not going to be three weeks apart because then you're not getting anything from those guys because they're nobody can hit three weeks apart so they are gonna get in there probably more than folks like and maybe even a little bit more than is optimal but if you think you're getting an optimal manager, like there's no such thing. Um, so I, I, I totally understand why, especially where the Mets are in terms of having um, these young guys knocking at the door. I understand the the lack of trust around Showalter, but I also think, first of all, there's nothing on this team that I think like warrants the kind of explosive impact replacing him would have yeah they love him right right like he is a he is a deeply adored i mean francisco lindor's daughter alone would um <laughs> would throw a tantrum the likes no one has ever seen i mean he's he's a beloved figure there and for a team that's underperforming that's that's a big that would be a big step i mean if they were if they were still if they'd continued their losing streak this last week instead of turning things around i mean maybe but like that is yeah. Just, I don't think that, he's going anywhere. Like yeah. no, he's not going no, anywhere. That would no. be nuclear, and there's nothing about this team that needs like a nuclear change yeah. right I, now. I, I guess um, where I was. So kinda, Walter can't yeah. pitch. I feel yeah, like exactly. is a good reminder. <laughs> um, I mean, I think like there might be a talk about another like well-regarded figure. I mean, Jeremy Hefter, the pitching coach, might be the more um, at-risk person. Although again, also really well thought of by the staff and by baseball overall. But, you know, if if we're still seeing a lot of this team's trends 
not improving over the next few months if we're still seeing you know all the depth pitchers just being terrible and all the starters not really getting their a game or being able to go deep into games at all then maybe he's the guy you look at but at the end of the day the kid what we've seen over the last few days especially the kids are gonna play you know is escobar gonna sit for the next two weeks Right, right no and he shouldn't like everyone on the team has a role and Buck will shuffle people through those roles to try to keep them fresh and keep them focused. It's going to be as uh, is it going to be successful 100 percent of the time? It's not. Right. But if anyone who's wanting that from a manager again, like who find him? Right. Oh, right. Show me the manager I mean, yeah, who everybody part, loves all the time. It, part of the theme here, it reminded me of Joe Girardi with the Phillies in a way where there was that stubborn nature about the manager. And and, and I'm, not, I'm not I'm not saying that Showalter is exactly like Joe Girardi by any stretch of the imagination. I, I would not say that at all. But I, I do wonder how, because of the money that was spent, because of the investments that were made in this team during the offseason and the fact that that those investments necessarily haven't come to fruition with the type of record I think this team and the fan base expected to see at this particular point in the season that because of Showalter's stubbornness in a way that it kind of becomes a scapegoat and and, and I I do wonder if that's uh that's part of this equation as to why the quote let let the young kids play has been part of a theme uh this particular season yeah I mean I think um you know, someone who, and I try not to like throw this word around too much, but, but Buck Showalter is certainly iconic as Absolutely, a manager. Yes. And so, you know, to come in with those own expectations that he has built for himself, I mean, again, in a way, it's sort of like it welcomes the criticism in some ways. You're like, whoa, has he just lost it? Like, that's the other thing is once you get a certain age, even when it's not like, pitches that you're trying to do i think it really is easy to be like well he's you know he's past his prime he's crotchety like set in his ways <laughs> you know you can you can build these narratives really easily right. but right. you also just have to look at the reality of what's happening on the field who's playing who's not playing and the thing is like for the most part it's fine mm-hmm. i like the bigger delays were honestly on the part of epler just in terms of getting the young kids up and you know and you can make the argument and I think probably people do that he waited until their egos were through the moon because they were absolutely destroying the miners. And like, right. that's, you know, there is that argument to be made. And I think it's very, very easy to say, like, look, I just want to see the kids play. I just want to see them. But then you also like you want to keep them confident. You want to give them good matchups. You know, you never know which guy tweaked his wrist because he slept on it funny last night. Like, there's always little things behind the um, behind the curtain that we don't necessarily know. But I think because of Buck's stature and because of his fairly well-known personality and inclinations, it is very easy to assign specific blame to him. All right. Very good. Well, a a topic that I kind of touched on as we started our discussion, wanted to close with it, Maggie, is the fact that this NL East division is just, my gosh, just all over the place. You've got teams changing positions, the number two, number three, number four positions within the division. It almost seems like on a daily basis at this point, Mets, Phillies, and Marlins are just these middling teams in the middle of the NL East that haven't really shown us too, too much after six weeks of baseball. The Braves obviously favorites at this point to win the division, but 
I just, you know, as, as we close things out here, how do you see that number two spot in the NL East kind of taking shape over these next few weeks and months? I mean, that's a great question. I will start by saying, like, I don't think the number one spot is particularly cemented ah, either. All and, right. I mean, look, I, I like again, to hear this that. Is, this is, I'm a little biased in this just because, like, we saw it happen last year. Right. But the, the Braves have not put up anywhere near the lead in the division that the Mets did. And right. then, I mean, you could also say that the Mets threw it away, although I don't think that's entirely fair. I mean, if nothing else, it's not particularly fair to the Braves, who just played like absolute monsters for two thirds of a season. But, you know, I, the, I think currently the Braves have a five game lead. A five game lead is solid, but also a five game lead could be gone by next week. It like, could that's, be in this division. Um, yes. <laughs> and they look and they look great. But they also, you know, the Braves also have not had to weather much on the injury front. I know that every Braves fan would be like, well, what about blah, blah, blah. But like. In the grand scheme of things, yes. they have not been losing, you know, this the caliber of players that others. It's not like the, the Mets. Have. It's not like the Phillies. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So I don't think that they have a lockdown on first place, um, although certainly they are the favorites at this point for good reason. But when it comes to that second place, I mean, man, it is going to be a dogfight. I, you know, and, and I wouldn't be shocked to see a little more separation start to grow over the next few weeks, um, just as everybody starts to, you know, the team like the Mets is getting healthy and seeing if that starts to make some difference. The Nats, I think, have been playing a little over their own capabilities oh, right absolutely. now. Like they're only nine <laughs> games behind, and I think that's going to change fast. Yep. Um, you know, and I think, but it's it's really. I, I think it's really hard to say right now. It's fun. Um, and I and it is fun. And I, I I do think, especially looking at the rest of the National League, which is like not not like destroying the world out there right now. Like right. National League baseball is <laughs> is not like feeling these moments of pride. Um, but I mean, certainly it's hard to see at least one of our, uh, one NL East team not making it in as the wild card. So I think like one way or another, at least one of these these kind of middle teams is going to is going to get that is going to get that and i would not be surprised if it's as close um as the first place spot was last year absolutely um, yeah. and of course like yeah. and all that uh you know the mets and the braves in an absolute like dogfight for first place and the team that made it to the world series was the phillies <laughs> exactly <laughs> so if that doesn't like if that doesn't show that i mean it could really this season, it is a total crapshoot for the NL East. As far as I'm concerned, like I would not be putting big money anywhere on that. Anything can happen in baseball, folks. As we know, a lot of the 2022 playoff teams not doing too, too well this season. I got to say, it was amazing talking to her. Maggie Wigan, thank you so much for jumping on our Opposition Territory podcast. And uh, folks, really quick, again, a pod of their own. It's a great, great podcast over to MazinAvenue.com. You can get it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever podcast platform you are on. And uh, your co-hosts do a great job. Allison McCaig has been on our podcast. I know she's one of your co-hosts. Uh, get some plugs out there with it, uh, Maggie. Um, so... Uh, I think a pot of their own is one of the best podcasts out there. There you go. Um, and you can you can find a pot of their own on Twitter at at a pot of their own. And Allison, my, my, one of my co-hosts, is at Petite PhD. And then Linda Surovich is also a wonderful follow. Um, and that's L Surovich at um, on, all on Twitter. So you can find us there. Uh, we're part of the podcast network, Home Run Applesauce. You can find us on all your podcast spots 
Um, and yeah, come check us out. And uh, we also have a we have a Patreon. I'm supposed to be. I've been really oh, bad about, some about Patreon that. Here. Yes. Okay. So you can actually pay us for all the hard work that we do trying to bring you really good Mets content and sports social justice content. You know, we're really passionate about about telling different kinds of stories um, on our show. And I hope you come check us out. So. All right. Sounds good. Again, folks, Maggie Wigan. It was great talking to you, Maggie. Come back and join us down the road. I'd love to have you back in the pod. Would love to. Thanks so much, Jeff. I love talking to Maggie. Love talking to the folks over at a pod of their own about this specific Mets organization and the, and this team. You know, we talked about last year's team, and there are definitely some differences that we're seeing, of course, in terms of performance with last year's Mets team, this year's Mets team. And I do think the Mets have the opportunity to go on that winning streak at some point in the near future here because, you know, look, they are a stacked team. There's just so much inconsistency when it comes to the NL East at this point. You know, I got to say, Maggie really made a good point about the Atlanta Braves. Can they keep the number one overall spot? I mean, it looks pretty good right now of us recording this, uh, you know, at at the end of May here as they're five games up. I don't know. Anything can happen, I think, in this NL East. We've been talking about on this podcast how this division is going to be one of the most intriguing to watch in the game of baseball, and it certainly has, not because... Each team is just lighting it up and, and and on fire. But as Maggie was saying, you know, there's going to be a wild card team likely coming out of this division. Who is that going to be? There's going to be a lot of great battles. There's going to be a lot of challenges for these teams. Again, mainly with regard to the Mets, Phillies, and the Marlins, those med- middling teams that we've been talking about. What are they going to do? It's going to be really fun to watch and c- continue to watch as well. That's going to do it for us here on Opposition Territory. Make sure you're following us on Twitter. If you are new to the podcast at Philadelphia PSD, you can follow me at Jeffrey underscore Warren. We have got a great regular show coming your way this week, which will be dropping Thursday morning. Do not miss it. It'll be in your podcast feed. If you follow us on Apple Podcasts, if you subscribe on Spotify, we're on a ton of other podcast platforms as well. And if anything happens to your podcast feed, Head on over to PhiladelphiaSportsTable.com. We've got all of our shows over there for you. Take care, folks. We'll catch you next time. Bye, guys.